The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I am joined by my awesome co-hosts this week. Nate Ooh, no, no Nate, same time, Nate, same time. I normally go first. I go first. <laughs> you do go first. You know what? I haven't been on the show for a couple weeks. I, I accept your apology. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Nate accepts our apology for refusing to allow him on the podcast for the last several weeks. <laughs> Go ahead, Nate. Nate Heininger. And Laura Nash. Ah, Nate, it's so good to hear your voice. And uh, this week we are talking about a game called Wide Ocean Big Jacket, uh, developed by Turn Follow and published by Tender Claws, uh, both of which are new names to me. Great game name. Uh, It took me a while to understand it, but we are usually making fun of game names, and for whatever reason, I really liked this one. I like it too. Like it's a really good title. I don't know. I don't know what makes a title good necessarily, but like, it seems like a. It's more of like an album title than a video game Mm -hmm. title to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shockingly, despite every other title that sounds like something else, be constantly getting it mixed up. Like White Ocean Big Jacket, I remembered exactly to the point that mm-hmm. I thought there was no way that was the correct title because I was like, it's too close to short skirt, long jacket. Yeah, <laughs> but no, this one's sticky. Shane kept calling it My Ocean Jacket in the in the <laughs> in the chat. Oh yeah, that was Shane. <laughs> uh, different thing. Yeah, if it, if it was like most of the games that we we kind of like make fun of, it'd be like Jacket colon Wide Ocean or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> wide Ocean, the big jacketing. <laughs> yeah. Or it'd be like a pleasant camping trip, colon, wide ocean, big jacket. <laughs> yeah, right. Feelings, grow, growing up, comma, wide jacket. Yes. And uh, also I will uh, thank friend of the show, John Brainlove, who suggested this game to us. Uh, he was covering. This is a game that uh, we are releasing this episode a day late because it's a brand new game. There is an embargo. Uh, and so I have to delay the episode from Monday to Tuesday, which is no big deal. But uh, also, we don't usually we don't cover a lot of games in advance of their release very often because sometimes it's hard to gauge the length of a game or gauge whether it's going to be the kind of thing that we want to do on this show in advance of release. But uh, John was covering it for a different outlet and kind of gave us the tip off that this was definitely going to be capital M, my capital S, H-I-T uh, <laughs> on this show here. So, uh, and John was right. So thanks to, to John for suggesting the game. Yeah, we were definitely, as we we're playing, um, and we'll note this later, there are a lot of times we're like, yep, this is a short game, uh, catnip right here, mm-hmm. undistilled, yep. pure undistilled for a game that's, uh, you know, 60 to 90 minutes quote, like watching a good movie with friends or curling up to read a book. I mean, you've already got us. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good, We're done. Yeah, good way to pitch the length. I think more games need to pitch based on their length as a as a pro. And and uh, uh, and this game definitely does that well here. Well, well, games have for a long time promoted uh, their their time, but it's been the inverse. And it's right. kind of one of the impetus of the creations of this show where games would be like, it's 150 hours. Mm-hmm. like Capital the, C content. content. Yeah. yeah, the content. Yes. So this game is uh, definitely in our wheelhouse in terms of length, but also in, in terms of storytelling and even in terms of the kind of subject matter it covers. So this is a uh, primarily- Teens. Uh, yes. This is a primarily- uh, 
narrative-driven experience. I think the closest things that I can compare it to would be I was reminded a little bit of sort of the the visual sort of film-like storytelling style of of some of the games from Brendan Chung and and Blendo Games. I was reminded a little bit of a uh, like 30 Flights of Loving but through a kind of a Wes Anderson lens. So it's uh it's got a a, a it's a bit more twee uh not to use that as a pejorative here but it is just sort of the sort of sweet and lightly funny character-driven kind of narrative. Uh, told in a way that is primarily about uh, finding engaging ways to present the dialogue uh, rather than about finding, you know, creating game systems or anything like that. Yeah, I'd say it's a little more on like Fantastic Mr. Fox with Anderson because it's not going to like stuff a bunch of uh, quirk down your throat. It's a pretty light touch. I really liked it's the... A, um, it's a light quirk. There's definitely quirk. There's quirk. There's, like, there's, a, there's, quirk. there's, there's definitely a, quirk. I there's a ton of personality throughout this game. Um, it is not um, a heavy drama by any means. It's not going to not make you think. Yeah. Double negative. Definitely great for podcasts. I, I was thinking um, if we're going to continue our game stew here, I was thinking uh, Florence mm-hmm. kind of gave me sort of a slice of life. Also, in it's like color palette kind of similar to Florence. And then this one's a little bit of a stretch, but there was some... I had some similarly similar like tone or feeling a little bit to to gone home, not the like mystery side of it, but some of the subject matter and just the feeling I had while playing this also with gone home where I always thought something bigger and like scary was going to happen. And instead, this is like, oh, this is like incredibly grounded. I, I think I get what you mean in that it's definitely a story uh, about sort of the themes of coming of age and yeah. teen theme. <laughs> yeah, to me, the biggest thing was if there's plenty of games and media about like eight, nine year olds or 10 year olds, and there's a ton of stuff about like 14, 15, 16, 17. But it's not that common to see 12, 13, like a little bit precocious on some things and not on others. And I think that really yeah. just like pervades the feel of this because it's a camping trip. It's yeah. uh, it's about this uh, aunt and uncle who are bringing their niece and her boyfriend on a camping trip and you do all the camping trip things and mm-hmm. a story emerges because it's a narrative game. But the idea that they're focusing on the kids being 12 and 13 makes a huge difference to this game. And I think that's what makes it feel very different from the like teen drama stuff and the like little kid Goonies stuff. <laughs> like this yeah. feels in a yeah. nice like, middle yeah. ground. Uh, and yeah, it kind of targets two age ranges that I think you don't see a whole lot of in games. They don't expect, they don't explicitly say the age of the, uh, yeah, the aunt and uncle Brad who and are taking, I, I love Brad the names in this game. And um, yeah. I, I feel like we should t- just get this out of the way that like Brad is the uncle by blood of Mord, the main character, the I'd say main character, but that's probably a bit inaccurate because it's pretty ensemble. But um, yeah. Mord is sort of the focus of the story in some ways. And um, she's the alpha wolf, as she proclaims. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. She- and then uh, uh, Brad's wife is Chloanne and uh, Mord's boyfriend is Ben. And first mm-hmm. of all, like, Mord and Chloanne are two fantastic names that I have never heard before, and uh, I love them both. Those are really great characters. Yeah. All four of them. They were really. great names. And they're all good characters, too. And uh, so, yeah, that's the setup. Brad and Chloanne have brought Mord and Ben with them on a camping trip. Seems like camping is something that is 
very near and dear to Brad and Chloe and it's the first time for Mord and Ben that they've gone camping. And the I, I, I what would you peg the ages of Brad and Chloe? I was thinking like thirty three. Yeah, you know, like yeah. right in that like I was early thinking like mid thirties. They're they're clearly yeah. like right on that verge where I mean we'll talk about some of the themes later, but they're kind of on that verge where it's like. If they wanted to, this is an age where they could be uh, having kids. They're clearly the sort of responsible adults. Um, but they're also the, like, cool childless uncle and aunt who are taking uh, taking the young niece and her boyfriend uh, out for, you know, fun times kind of thing. Which, to be real, like, no parent is bringing a 12-year-old and their boyfriend on a camping trip. <laughs> like, this is definitely an aunt and uncle cool move. Yeah, right? Let's totally. Totally is. Um, I, I had this uncle, by well, the way. Like for me, this was this was like game, probably yeah. my my uncle Ty was like that. You, you always, I think, if you have a sufficiently large parental uh, family, you always have the the cool uncle. Uh, that was right? the uncle with the pool, right? Right. Oh, no, no, no. Right. Ty was Ty was the younger brother of the uncle with the pool. Um, oh, okay. That was my uncle Hugh, who was uh, he. You know, he was he was a good dude, but he was not the cool uncle because he was not uh, the young uncle. Uh, mm. You know, youngness. And coolness have direct proportional relationship, right? And it's always like the younger brother of your parent that is the cool one, I think. Yep. Um, and so that's definitely the relationship here. This is like uh, – I don't think we find out much about Mord's mother, but Mord's mother – mother's younger brother is Brad, um, I think, right? Yeah, their ages seem like – it would be plausible that they could have had these kids, but they would have had to have kids at like 2021 20, right out of college. So like they they uh-huh. seem too young, just a little too young to have these kids as their as their actual kids. Like that that's what age they seem to be. Yeah. And I, I don't you know to the original point, I don't know of a lot of games that sort of address that time in someone's life. Like it's usually like you're 25, you're out of college, you don't know what you're doing, or it's like we're going straight to like middle age crisis sort of thing. This is that like coming up on the midlife crisis stage of a life. I mean, uh, which felt to me very much like my behavior at my family Christmas party, which is when (laughs) I go talk to all the kids in high school and college about their classes because I'm actually interested and I ignore their parents. Like you're the cool, uh, cool aunt now. I am the cool childless aunt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's funny that this made me think a lot about that stage of my life, both in both positions, because like, I've never quite been that like Mr. Cool uncle or whatever. But part of that is because I've, I've, you know, during this that period of my life, I was mostly not living in the town where most of the my family members were. Um, but I, I very much recognize the there's a sort of a feeling you get from Black, Brad and Chloanne where they're like, they don't know what 12 year olds or 13 year olds are like or what to do with them. And they're constantly surprised about things like, wow, I didn't know they'd be this smart, you know, that kind of. And they clearly didn't right. like, get rules from mom. No. Yeah. They just, they just don't know how to relate to, to kids this age. And I've had that feeling too, where like, you know, you have a young relative who sort of like phases out of your life for a while while you're doing your own thing. And then suddenly they come back into your life and they are no longer a little kid. They are this person. Um, and it's, it can be really weird and also kind of cool. Um, and I think that's kind yeah. of how how what we're seeing with Brad and Chloanne uh, interacting with Mord. And, and maybe so I have had like none of this in my life. I have now a niece and a nephew and they are four months and 
eight months. So that's the first I, I you, just became. And you're not taking an the 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 four month old and her boyfriend out on camping trips. We did, we did. It went horribly. Mm. Um, and I, I, both of my parents or the uh, the younger, the youngest or within like a year or two of the youngest of their family. So all of my aunts and uncles have always been much older than my parents. Mm. And I definitely had like a cool uncle, um, but he was more cool because he's just like very smart and very calm and very interesting, but not like, like the cool guy, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't know. Like I didn't really ever have any of that, uh, which is fine. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but uh, yeah, for, for, for us, the cool uncle I, was like the one that at some point came by and dropped off a crate of like, talking heads vinyl and was like i'm done with these you can you can check these yeah. out now oh wow kind of it's like an actual so, cool yeah. so i will say one thing that, so that's interesting though because all of my uncles and aunts were way older i do have some cousins that were like 10 or 15 years older than me mm-hmm. and i had one cousin who gave me his playstation Ooh. oh uh, and Tony Hawk, when I, was like, <laughs> I don't know, whenever that game was out. You know, that's not a cool had, uncle. That's a rad uncle. It was my cousin, yeah. but he he <laughs> was thing. he mowed. Yeah, he yeah. I think that probably fills that space because he mowed. He had like a little lawn mowing company when he was like twenty, and and had landed some like crazy commercial jobs. So he was like loaded for being like twenty, you know. Mm. And he bought like a whole bunch of stuff and gave me his old stuff, and that was really cool. So I guess that's about as close as I would have to a cool uncle. Though, like four years later, he tried to take the PlayStation back, and he became way less cool. <laughs> yeah, see, all I want to do is stay the cool aunt. Like I know yeah. we. Fl- to be honest, like my niece and nephew love Justin, and so. He's going to be the cool uncle. I just feel mm. like I suffer in comparison. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's true. But well, I mean, back to yeah. the. So we've obviously that kind of. <laughs> we definitely, I think, um, relate. So we relate to, hard to the older couple in the game. No yeah. surprise. Yeah. Yes and no, though. That's where I I felt a uh, so a little bit of like not spoilers, but for like for me, I didn't feel a lot of personal connection to this game. I think a lot of the the tone and feelings of this kind of missed me, but. I do think for it, it is very well done for those personal feelings. So for people who do connect to this, I could see it being very, very a, a very emotional experience because it is handled really well. I just like don't have many of the life experiences that they really dig in on this. I game. think it's like I think oh, like if you connect with either the Brad and Chloe side of things, the sort of older but not super old, uh, you know, people trying to relate to their young relatives, uh, or the sort of Mord and Ben side of things, which is the sort of interesting nerdy kids trying to kind of navigate early puberty and early relationships and uh you know the idea of sex is that a thing that i'm interested in how am i supposed to be thinking about it that kind of thing yeah, yeah where they're they're definitely walking that bridge where like is the is at 12 is the person you're dating the person who you like the most who you hang out with the most it's, it's like their narrow line between friendship and relationship is definitely what they're walking here yeah and it's lovely and, uh, very directly, right? Because oh, uh, Mord is like, well, we were very good friends for three years, and I realized that like I wanted to date someone, so why not him? It's like, well, that's that's uh, actually pretty logical thinking. I think, yeah, that's, I think that's a that's a totally you know that's a that's a thirteen year old or twelve year old like first relationship thing, and it feels very sure. um, their relationship felt very very realistic to me, except mm-hmm. that like 
I was really rooting for them, but like, man, like the, uh, I don't know, maybe this is just me talking, but like, I, I was like, there are storm clouds on the horizon here, no matter how perfect and wonderful both of these children are like, because all of these relationships end in, end in little 13 year old tears. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so when thinking about like things that you connect to Ben, I think was the closest that I kind of related to, but he's like, so quiet and weird that it was like, it was like almost like too far, but, uh, this being a narrative game, my favorite thing about Ben was the amount of times he spoke in sentences where every first letter of every word was capitalized. It is just such yeah. a formal, shy kid way to talk, and I yeah. was so happy. We should, when we he, should talk about yeah. the uh, well, the way that this yeah, game does actual does game. actual yeah. like gameplay and dialogue yeah. because I think it's it's pretty interesting. They do a lot with a little here. Yeah, I, I think yeah we we have really jumped into the the narrative feelings before we've actually really set which up, is what uh, probably matters how, most about this thing so i'm okay with it totally. but yeah somebody somebody better at it than me go ahead and explain the the dialogue system and everything so the way the dialogue system works is it, it starts out really nicely uh, you're going on a camping trip you're in a car um and you learn that when you um tilt the camera at different people their name will appear in all caps above them and you uh, hit a button and then you're talking with them from the perspective of whoever you're playing. So you might look, um, it, it's often it's that you, you know, you're not playing as if you are Mord. You're basically looking at Mord and then Mord will start a conversation. So yeah, it's you like, actually go back and forth. Sometimes you yeah, are, depends. you are playing as a character or seeing the world through their eyes. And then sometimes you are just like a centerpiece camera that is rotating around the scene and you're selecting who you want to see, like what they're going to say in that scene. Right. And that that inconsistency sounds like it could be really confusing, but it's not really. You're just kind of um, sometimes you're controlling a person, you're walking around, you're doing stuff, uh, you're initiating conversations. But really each um, you're looking at uh, an object or a person and that becomes a conversation topic. So you might walk over to a picnic table and talk about a picnic table. You might walk over to Cloanne and now you're having a conversation with Cloanne. But it's this kind of blend of um, initiating dialogue with exploration where uh, it does feel like you'll unpack the whole story, you know, pretty linearly, but you do get to choose kind of what, where you're talking next, what you're talking about. It feels a little bit more like I had a lot of flashbacks to some of the games you played in IF Comp where you can look around an area and really start trees anywhere, but it's a much more visual approach. Yeah, it's it's very film-like um, in terms of how you know it, it, it feels edited in a film-like mm. kind of way. Yeah. You know, it's divided into scenes, uh, and those scenes might have several different sort of conversations that happen in them, but like, you know, the, lots of uh, jump cuts from one scene to the next, not in a, you know, 30 flights of loving, like kind of editing style, but in a, in a very film-like editing style. Um, and also uh, we didn't talk about the visuals uh, yet really, but it has a uh, low poly look to it that reminds me a lot of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a popular aesthetic these days. I think you could compare the aesthetic here to really popular games like Untitled Goose Game or Donut County uh, or others that are using this sort of like flat color, unshaded 3D model, low mm -hmm. poly aesthetic, um, where it's more about sort of suggesting, uh, you know, the appearance of things and things can be very stylized. So like the characters have, you know, very simplistic faces uh, with cartoonish 
uh, elements to them. Like, uh, like Brad has this sort of like Pinocchio nose that I think is very cute. Um, so or not Brad, uh, Ben, Ben, sorry. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's visually, I thought like I've, I found it very appealing and I think it does a, a great job of picking a color palette that kind of, uh, I, I I don't know quite what to say about it other than that it 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 had a it had a nice vibe to me. It felt like kind of like a uh, you know a, a camping trip at the perfect part of summer uh, with the perfect weather and just you know the vibe worked. Yeah, what like kind of a a brighter pastel. Oh, and we should also talk about the way the dialogue is delivered, which is I thought a little bit unique. Um, you know when you do sort of essentially like click on somebody to start a dialogue sequence with them. Um, it switches from that fully 3d environment to a black screen with a white background and, uh, like hand illustrated looking portraits of each character. And you're only seeing one line of dialogue at a time on screen. So you're kind of clicking through dialogue and seeing usually like one sentence at a time. Um, and, uh, I really, really like this way of delivering dialogue where it restricts how much text it's putting on screen at once. Sometimes when a game just overloads you with dialogue, like I I saw a tweet the other day where somebody was, you know, some sort of unpopular gaming opinion. And I'm sorry, I can't remember whose tweet it was. I think I retweeted it, but they were talking about how they felt like uh, JRPG dialogue uh, had gotten worse over the years as the character count limits in dialogue boxes had, you know, evaporated with more modern systems. Uh, and that like being able to, pre- you know, having the restriction on character count and how much text you could actually show in a single text box on screen uh, meant that the dialogue flowed more quickly and more, you know, maybe naturally. I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, if you, in a dialogue driven game, uh, you know, I certainly have played games where they give you basically a page of scrollable text to read, but this is not that. This feels light and uh, and dialogue-y. I, I don't know how else to, pre- to to describe that because it gives you so such short scraps of text to read at a time. Yeah, well, people, it, it this is where the game, I think, really felt the best is it really felt like a conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, this is where you know, we said the game is like 60 to 90 minutes. There's really not a lot that extends that other than, I guess, your own pace of reading, mm-hmm. right? Because you it, everything is really on a tee for you. There's nothing you're figuring out. There's no uh, like alternate paths, no side quest, nothing. It's really just you're following as the game sets up for you. There are a couple times where they let you decide like one or if you're going to engage with this person instead of this person, but it, it I'm assuming it's a very low consequence and just kind of yeah. you get to engage with whatever character you like more. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I really like this dialogue system. It also it's like super easy to read white text on black background. I feel like a lot of games like this would have wanted to put like little text bubbles or something in the 3D world. And I think that would have been annoying. So they handled it really well. It also allows them as uh Reagan said, or one of you said earlier in the game, they do a lot of, uh, or in the episode, they do a lot of fun stuff with text to set up like how the person is talking because it is just white text on black background. So things in parentheses indicates that they're like trying to whisper to each other. 
uh, all caps yelling, you know, random capitalization, just a lot of funny things that they can do to kind of include how the character is feeling. Yeah, it felt a lot more like the way the unspoken language we figured out in text without actually being text dialogue. Like that that's yeah. what it felt more like to me. Like it felt yeah. like the combo between a playwriting where you see a line each time and, you know, texting where the capitalization and the the grammar of it tell you how someone would say it in real life. Yeah, totally. I I felt I feel like Texting has changed the way that video game dialogue works. I mean, you know, I'm old enough to uh, to have been playing video games before I was texting, and uh, like I I do feel like just the the way that people write messages to each other online and on phones is uh, ha- has presented some new techniques that this game is definitely drawing on. I think it's really interesting. Um, I also think like the way that they the way that they do this dialogue where the dialogue it happens in a sort of a different mode or screen than in the sort of exploring the world, uh, walking around and looking at things mode um, is interesting because it allows them to, it, first of all, it, it means that their expressions, you know, people's facial expressions and everything can happen in your head. Whereas like they, they stick to this extremely simple and basically not animated uh, style with the 3d models um, so the, the 3D models do have expressive appearances, but mostly they don't change while you're looking at them. You know, like you you might look at a character and they are, uh, you know, slouching in a chair and and uh, bouncing their leg. And then it cuts to dialogue or some other scene. And then you cut back to them maybe later and they're in a different uh, configuration, right? They've got a different expression on their face. So they're doing something different with their body, but it's not something where we're seeing a lot of like people's emotive stuff happening in real time. Um, but the fact that the dialogue happens in this sort of black screen and we're sort of envisioning the characters uh, means that kind of like reading a good book, you are putting together your portrait of what that character's mannerisms are in your head. Yeah, they and they use it for comedy, too, because anytime you go from like a black screen to a, a scene, you know, and the characters have all switched, sometimes they're doing something funny or, or, or you know, they've really changed their posture <laughs> that makes you laugh. They, they also, uh, I think a couple times, I, I do think they try to use the way the camera switches around to give you sort of a sense of maybe what the kids are feeling or like the, the, the mm-hmm. tone of the game. So the best example, this is really early in the game. I think it might even be the first scene. It starts out the kids are in the car and you're the camera that's in the middle. So you're, and you're swapping back and forth, looking at the two kids. And then, uh, so you've been trained at the beginning of the game, you just press left or right. And you're just going to go back on even eye level with these kids sitting in the car. And then after a couple times of doing that, you press over and the camera swoops to the right and up and the mm-hmm. the the aunt and uncle are looking down into the car and they just look like these really you know big people <laughs> compared to these kids and i do think that is supposed to emulate that sort of feeling of like you're a little kid and your aunt and uncle and just adults are a lot bigger than you and especially when you're seated so you're looking up at them and they're looking down on you mm-hmm. i just thought that was really interesting yeah, yeah i think that that the camera motion is really fun. I also love it when they capture a still moment. So there's a part where everyone's eating hot dogs around the fire. I don't consider that a spoiler because it's camping. Nope. You eat hot dogs. <laughs> um, and you can look around at everybody, uh, you know, where Brad's having beer or, you know, Ben's curled up in a chair. And then you whirl around and you see uh, uh, 
moored with just lounging with two hot dogs. <laughs> and it's like one of the funniest moments. Like it reminds me of the theater game where everyone freezes in place. Like you have three images to do a story at tableaus because oh, yeah. it was yeah. like if you were taking a frozen shot of the campfire and everyone was at their like emblematic self around the campfire. It would, be, it would have been like Brad chill with a beer, um, Ben kind of curled up in his chair and Mord lounging with two hot dogs. <laughs> totally. I, I really liked Mord as a character. She's just really, I. this game does a really good job of being tender and sweet while also being funny. And, um, you know, every, everything Mord does it, gave me that feeling like I was she's baby dirtbag of the year oh yeah I wonder how much we can talk about this without getting into I mean we can talk about the themes but I don't want to talk about specifics of particular conversations uh without uh giving a spoiler break is there anything we can we feel like we can talk about in terms of just uh examples of moments that we thought are good uh, or uh or things about the themes of the game that we can do before we talk spoilers Oh, we can talk about the uh, two uh, short short game bait pieces, uh, namely Mean Teens and bird watching. Oh, yeah. All right. Yes. So, yeah, the Mean Teens. I, I, I was very pleased when we had uh, not only encountered some Mean Teens, but then the game put the large all caps text Mean Teens on screen. And I was like, OK, uh, let's talk to these Mean Teens. They were so mean. <laughs> and, and it was also at this point where I thought maybe this game was going to become a spooky teens game, which mm. we have covered many times. Uh, now, I won't tell you whether it does or does not become a spooky teens game, but um, that was another sort of short game classic trope that I thought we were wa- we were stumbling into. And then, yes, of course, bird watching. The, the mean uh, teens bit, though, like it, it's so it's so perfect that like there's this this feeling that like I don't think back on very often, but like the feeling of like you're absolutely like Mord and, and uh, Ben are absolutely absorbed in trying to figure out, okay, we have a relationship now. What does that mean? And they're like sneaking away to go to the beach. And then they're encountering mean teens who are, you know, Oh, are you guys dating? Oh, where are you guys going? Kind of thing. Like that intrusion onto that. Like you're I'm guys, I'm having a hard enough time as it is just trying to figure out how to be a fucking human being. Like, ah, uh, that was like, Hmm. Chef's kiss. Like you're making me feel bad and look bad, and I don't know how to react. And you're saying and I need bad to be words, cool in front I... of my, you know, my significant other. Uh, and I, you know, these teens are are giving me a hard time and making me look like a loser. Oof. Oh, I feel for you. I feel for you guys so hard. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Sorry, Mord. But uh, you know, mean teens are a force of nature. Mm-hmm. And the bird watching stuff, like I, I, I didn't expect there to be bird watching in this game, or I would have, uh, you know, I would have put on the bird watching signal and called uh, friend of the show Mark Bramhill in, who who is on the record as being like, guys, I'm not that into birds. I just love <laughs> the bird plays. Nope. <laughs> it's important that we have an expert on every bird related episode, and really, uh, this this game because it snuck up on us that it's bird related. I uh, really lucked out because this really should have been reserved for Bird Week three or, or whatever we call those episodes uh, because there's some choice bird watching in this game. Absolutely. 
Um, and yes, I am aware, uh, that Mark, we don't solely identify you as the bird guy. It's just a funny thing that we like now. Um, yeah, well, he was our Apple guy, but he's really slotted perfectly into this bird role that every podcast. So that's the thing. Every podcast has a bird guy. So yeah. we had to find our own. Yeah. yeah. You always need we, a bird consultant. We don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah. Apple makes the rules. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm hmm. So I really had a, a lovely, sweet time with this game. I sat down and played it in one sitting uh, on Switch. We didn't mention that before, but this is a game that's out on Steam, Itch, and Nintendo Switch on the eShop. Um, I guess there's something to talk about there, too, which is yes. just that like I think it's really neat to see these types of games, these sort of totally narrative-focused uh, micro-indie uh, games uh, not just coming to the Nintendo Switch, but actually launching on Switch. I think that's really neat. In a matter of, what, two years, Nintendo has gone from the perception of the only thing that's good on Nintendo games and the only thing that's really worth having a Nintendo platform is for the first-party Nintendo games, right? You're going to buy your Wii U or your Wii or whatever, and you're just going to play every version of the Mario world and then you're then maybe there'll be like a port of something that's good, but you probably you should just play it on PlayStation or whatever. That was and I've owned every Nintendo uh, console since they really existed. And I've been fine with that world because I love the Mario first party games. But in a short time, that entire like perception is is they've changed. Now I think of the switch as like my go-to place for these indie games, which is a credit to Nintendo for opening their platform so well. And I think a boon to the industry because everyone has a switch and these types of games are perfect on the switch, arguably better than sitting in front of your computer and playing mm -hmm. them. So it's, it's really helped the industry. Uh, it's awesome that Nintendo has reinvented itself in such a short time. Uh, I can't I, like imagining a game like this coming out on the Wii. Right? It's, <laughs> it, like, that never would have happened. And I just think it's so awesome. And I think it's awesome for Nintendo and for the indie game developer world. Yeah. And these types of games, you know, do come out on other platforms like PlayStation, for example, and obviously like, you know, Steam and, and so on. That, that's and that's good. Like, I'm glad this game's come out there. And, you know, it, it's not something that like, oh, it's not legit unless it's on console or what have you. But uh, I think if if a developer is deciding whether to port a game like this to any console, or maybe even if they're deciding between console and a mobile version or something, it seems like Nintendo mm -hmm. Switch has become the de facto choice because it's a marketplace where they can find an audience. Um, it addresses both people who prefer to play on a you know TV and have a um, you know more immersive experience like that, or people who want a like you know pull it out of their bag on the subway kind of experience. It spans a lot of potential uh, you know play styles and types of players. And I, I'm just, I'm really glad to see that happening. Um, I hope that like the Nintendo switch, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about how like the Nintendo switch eShop is getting cluttered, which I think is potentially a problem. You know, the, the shop isn't the best, you know, it loads slowly when you boot it up and their search isn't great, but you know, it's, it's fine. And I would, I would rather see these kinds of things coming out regularly on the switch rather than have them like, I would rather see one of these and, and 50, uh, you know, shovelware, uh, anime puzzle games than, yep. than to not get this on the switch basically. Yeah. Well, and just think about again, what a switch, what a uh, transition that is 
from, I wouldn't even really bother going to the eShop on the uh, other Nintendo platforms because it was like, well, I'm going to buy, I bought Mario Kart and I got the new Mario and I'm not really going to go and get anything from the eShop. Now the problem is, oh, there's too much stuff on there that I have a hard time filtering through and identifying what I want to buy. I'm like, that's that's a problem, sure, but it's a problem on the better side of things than what Nintendo was before. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, more of this, please. I was really, uh, really glad that we got to uh, play this and I was excited to play it on Switch because I, uh, I just really enjoyed that experience. And so longtime listeners to this show know that we usually, we haven't actually done it in the last couple, but we usually end the show uh, or end the pre-spoiler portion of the show with uh, what's making us happy this week. So Laura, what's making you happy this week? So uh, this last weekend, uh, right after I recorded the Ring Fit episode, I took myself to a big conference center in New York and I pet about 400 dogs <laughs> and it was great. Oh my God. Um, there was an event called Meet the Breeds. Uh, American Kennel Club does it. It used to be paired with the Westminster Dog Show weekend, but they've uh, broken it out separately. And uh, they promised on the till like 200 breeds of dogs and some cats in there. So I was a little like, <laughs> how many cats are there going to be? I don't care about the cats. And they also make you fill out a souvenir when you, um, like a little survey, not souvenir, when you ask, which is like, how did you hear about this? And what are you here to see? And it was like, um, do you have a pet? So it was like, I don't have a dog. And it was like, I'm here for the dogs. I'm here for the cats. I'm here for the events. And I was like, well, clearly I'm here for the dogs. But I went on day two. Um, so the dogs are a little tired because they've been pet for so many days. But, oh, my God, it's it's literally you go from booth, a picture like any convention you've ever been to. And every booth is like a middle school science fair where like that it's like people who really like mastiffs have put up like the art you might see in a really like big breeder's home. Like if you don't want drool on it, like don't let the mastiff in. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't get these jokes. But then you see this dog that is the size of like that's coming up to your chest and you see a tiny three year old bundling up and like reaching up to pet the dog. And I was like, so they have made the right choice. Um, Stay calm and, and, and pet mastiffs. Pet the dogs. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's there are events like this apparently in other places. This is just a very big version of it. Um, and four people bailed. I had four different people who were going to come to this event with me and all four of them bailed. So I was like, is it sad to go to a pet the dog show by yourself? And it turns out absolutely not because the thing is all the breeders want to talk to you about how good their dog is. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have missed that had I been with someone else. Honestly, so. I think it's almost never the wrong choice to go to an event like that by yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, Sometimes these things are better with friends. Lots of things are better with friends. But if you if your choice is between staying home by yourself or going out to see 200 dogs by yourself. You know, 200 breeds, like, but every booth had like five dogs in it. Right, like, I kept right. saying 200 dogs. <laughs> there were so many dogs there. Going, <laughs> going to yeah. pet literally hundreds of dogs, that is a good choice regardless. When you're worn out because you've pet so many dogs. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a and good regardless- time. That's a deeply personal experience, too. So it's probably best on your own yeah. uh, going to pet hundreds of dogs. Uh, yeah, I think there, there's definitely a weird uh, that that like stigma against doing things by yourself. But whatever. Going to restaurants by yourself. Great. Go to a movie by yourself. It doesn't matter. If you want to go do it, go do it. 
Yeah, and then I also got to um, set just flood the short game Snapchat with just yes. dog after dog after dog. That was dog. good dog I content. I did not. Thank you. It with was great no dog warning. content. I didn't know you were going to that thing. And then all day, I was just like, Laura's around a lot of dogs right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't give any explanation. I just started sending it to you guys. Um, yeah. Laura's new, new, new New York life has... Took a turn I didn't expect. Yeah. Okay. That was my, it would have been exhausting, but fantastic. So, mm-hmm. yes, um, going to not dog shows, but the pet the dog shows. Highly recommend. That is that is really awesome. I didn't know that was a thing that existed, and now I'm going to be on the lookout for it. Um, the thing that's making me, one of the things that's making me happy this week is, uh, you guys know that I'm a big fan of The Witcher, uh, which I got into via the games. I played The Witcher 2. I think it was way back, like, I finished Skyrim and was like, I need more of something like that. And uh, at the time, people were like, oh, yeah, Witcher 2 is pretty good. And it was on sale on Steam. And I got into that. And then I was very excited to play The Witcher 3. And I played that, like, every day for a year. And then there'd been kind of a drought of Witcher in my life. And then here recently, the uh, Witcher television show came out. I had at some point in between, I don't even really know when, tried the books, but the first Witcher book, getting into the Witcher books is a little confusing um, because it be- the saga begins with two collections of short stories uh, and then continues into a trilogy of actual novels. And um, the so the, the show was a lot better than I had w- thought it would be. Like Henry Cavill is great. Most of the other actors are pretty good. Um, the story was at least decently told once you kind of wrapped your head around the way they were doing their out of sequence storytelling thing, because they're basing the entire first season on two collections of short stories. And, uh, two of the characters, uh, Yennefer and Siri barely appear in the short stories until like the very end. So like, uh, Geralt's story over the course of the season is like 70 years. Whereas like Siri's story over the course of the first season is like two weeks. So um, weird, timey-wimey stuff going on in the storytelling. Mostly works. But anyway, the thing that's really making me happy is that um, having watched that, I decided I would take another try at the Witcher novels, although this time I'm doing audiobooks, which has, I think, been a very good choice um, because it helps propel them forward. The first two books are weirdly paced because they're short story collections, but I still very much recommend checking them out if you like any of the other Witcher stuff, or maybe even if you don't, if you just like fantasy. Um, the uh, the world of the Witcher, something that you don't really get from the games so much, is very, very much influenced by just very traditional fantasy in the, in the fairy tale realm rather than the sort of Tolkien realm, although that's very much there too. Um, but like, Lots of callbacks to things like, like, you know, one of the short stories is basically a retelling of Beauty and the Beast. But like, what if it was fucked up and realistic Beauty and the Beast, right? (laughs) That's kind of what Sapkowski was going for early on. And then later he kind of shifted towards this sort of more epic fantasy, uh, you know, world building and and so on. Um, So a lot of the early stories kind of feel a little monster of the week, um, but in a good way where you're kind of like, like I, I enjoyed I, I enjoyed the character more in these books than I thought I would. Um, prepare yourself if you do the audiobooks for the fact that these audiobooks were recorded uh, with a very different performance than either the games or the um, uh, the show. So the the uh, person reading the audiobooks gives Geralt a kind of I guess some kind of vaguely Scottish accent. <laughs> um, it's it's it took a little getting used to. 
And also, book Geralt is enormously more chatty than film or game Geralt. He just does a ton of talking, like a lot. So it, the characterization is a little different. Um, but I still really recommend them. And I'm now into the third book, which is uh, the beginning of what, what the book series calls the, the saga. Basically, the first two books are just a collection of short stories setting things up. And then the, uh, the three novels following that, starting with Blood of Elves, is a, uh, is a more traditionally told, uh, you know, chapterized novels uh, covering a consistent story because uh, by that point all of the main characters like Siri and Yennefer have been introduced and uh, it, I, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm enjoying it a lot. So um, if you've enjoyed any of the other Witcher stuff, uh, don't get scared off by the fact that the novels are arranged weirdly, start with a bunch of short stories, etc. Um, you know, just look up the Witcher novels reading order on Google like I did and do that. And it's uh, it's a fun time. I've been having fun with it. Nate, what's been making you happy this week? Yeah, I got a, a couple things uh, to go through real quick. Uh, one, I got a book called The Elements of Pizza uh, <laughs> from a, 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 it's a, it's a pizza cookbook written by uh, a man named Ken Forkish, who had a uh, bread book, bread baking book called Flour, Water, bleh, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast which I think is a relatively well-regarded mm-hmm. uh, bread baking book. And he, after writing that, it had some pizza recipes in there. He got like really into making pizza. And so we put out a, a dedicated pizza book and it has changed my life. I've got, I'm, I'm not, I'm ordering flour from Italy. I've been making my own <laughs> sauce. I, it's, it's been, uh, I've made a handful of pizzas over the last couple of weeks and it's been a lot of fun. It they've been fantastic, which was very surprising to me because I made the first one, made the made the dough, made the sauce, uh, didn't make the cheese, but I made like a classic margarita pizza, and I was like, well, this is probably gonna be fine. It's the first one I've ever made. It was really really good, and it really had me. Um, basically, I've been making a lot of pizza over the last couple of weeks, all because of this book. It's very lovingly written and very detailed. So if you've never, I've never made any, I've never baked anything in my life. I'd never made dough before. I had, I've been interested in making pizza for a while. So I've done a couple of things like, whereas buying like, whole you have a pizza oven, you. right? Yeah, I have a pizza oven, but that's more like, uh, if, it, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a acts as a toaster oven, mm. but has a, a slot that is, is more like pizza. So we'll definitely use it for, uh, of it like uh frozen pizzas and whatnot and like reheating things but also use it like we don't have like actually even a toaster that's where we make like toast Mm. and stuff so it does a lot of different things for us but i I actually wouldn't use it to make a pizza like this because it doesn't get as hot uh as you would want see now i've got all this pizza making (laughs) but um i i've made a couple different styles i had we had people over uh for D D last week and i made a uh, pizza for everyone it was it's been really good and it's been really really tasty and i've been really enjoying it so if you're interested in making your own pizza definitely recommend this book it's like 20 bucks uh and he has all of these different styles all these different doughs that will work depending on your on what schedule you have like when you want to eat pizza which is challenging because i always want to eat pizza but you have to plan it a little bit when you're going to make your own uh so anyway i've been doing that a lot and i've been really enjoying it uh so 
Uh, if you follow me on like Twitter or Instagram or whatever, you've probably seen some of these pizzas that I've made. You've really seen the ones that have come out that look good. Still not great at making a perfect round uh, uh, pizza. So some it's of rustic. them have looked. <laughs> yeah, that there you go. Um, but it's 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 been a lot of fun. And then the other thing, really quick, I I think on the Katana Zero episode, I said that I thought the soundtrack was fine, that it was good for the game. Since then, it's on Spotify. I've listened to that soundtrack like a hundred times. Wow! It's become my go. It's become my go-to like work soundtrack. I listen to it at work all the time. I was listening to it while making pizza, uh, and it's just got a. It, it's way better than I originally gave it credit for. I, I didn't think it was bad to begin with, but I thought it was more just like cool. It's like EDM or whatever. It, it fits this like technical or like techno mm-hmm. vibe of this game, but it actually is way more dense and, and interesting. So I've been really, really enjoying that soundtrack. So uh, if you listen to that episode uh, and weren't uh, convinced to go and check it out on its own, I, I think you should. I've been really, really enjoying awesome. it. Awesome. Well, that's that's really great. Uh, so uh, we're about to hit our spoiler break. Uh, there's not a whole lot to talk about post-spoiler break here, but the, uh, the game... Uh, Wide Ocean Big Jacket included a couple of conversations that we thought were particularly interesting, but would be very spoilery to to go into depth about. So we're going to have a brief spoiler break here to uh, talk about those. So if you're hopping off here, thank you for listening to The Short Game. Uh, We can be found on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll find a contact form. That's a great way to let us know what games you're playing or what you think about the show. Uh, Suggest things there. That's great, too. Um, Of course, you can also find us on patreon.com slash the short game where every one of our beloved patrons gets instant access to our discord discord is where we chat about the games we're playing this is where the conversations that happen on this show start Uh, and uh, we would love to have you join us there and you can support at a dollar a month or more and get instant access to that discord Um, and uh, we'd love to see you there Um, that's uh also, incidentally, where uh, John, who suggested this game uh, to us, uh, suggested it. So thank you again to John. Uh, you can find our show on Twitter at underscore short game. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Laura, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at Nate S-T-O. Uh, and here it is, your spoiler break. So there are two main conversations that happen in the game that I think are where the game kind of hits its stride and has the sort of most to say. And I guess the first is when Cloanne and Mord are sort of hanging out around the fire. And I guess Brad and Ben have either gone to sleep or are off doing something. And uh, Mord asks Cloanne about sex. Um, I wasn't... I guess I was sort of expecting this conversation or something akin to it because I, you know, I'd been kind of clued into the fact that this game has, for example, kissing in it. Um, but I, I, you know, these are, these are 13 year olds. I wasn't quite sure where they were going to go with the, like whether there was going to be any conversation with the adults about sex or anything like that. I was kind of surprised to see this conversation, but uh, how did it strike you guys? To me, I, I think that it was handled very well in the way that um, a TV sitcom that wasn't worried about the uh, fallout from this conversation would handle it in a good way. Like, so it it felt like 
we were slightly primed from it because the mean kids were yelling about it and she'd kind of been exposed to like like sex seemed like it was around camping and they're sleeping in the same place but they it seemed like we're only at the part where they were like barely kissing yeah so it seemed like mm-hmm. a thing that was like permeating the world around the kids but the kids were not part of it so it seemed like obvious that it was gonna come up I didn't expect it to come up this directly and I think Chloe handled it very well she says basically like you know at some point they're miscommunicating and she's like we're different people and our minds work differently and you need to be comfortable talking about sex before you can do it and I was like cool that is the advice you would want the cool aunt to give and the cool aunt's not going to get in trouble with mom because she did neither endorsed nor said do not have sex. Yeah. Although she did say she had sex at 15. So the girl's like, cool, 15. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. The permission structure had been set up from that conversation that she could have sex at 15, which, <laughs> you know, no, I will not render my opinion on that. But I think that was definitely a takeaway from that conversation for that 13 year old. Oh, yeah. That 13 year old uh, was like, OK, 15 is a good goal. Yep. Cool. It, yep, exactly. I, oh. I, I was... The only thing that like, and, and you kind of already touched on this, Laura, but I, I was uh, surprised it was uh, so direct. It's like this, you know, they're going to have this conversation and it's like the first or second thing Mord says uh, or asks Chloanne about. I, I love the way uh, she phrased it too. She basically says like, is sex cool? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, very, is it cool while very, you're having it? Does it feel cool? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I also appreciated how, uh, Chloanne handled it like y- y- it feels like this could be set up to be almost like breachy mm-hmm. or uh, like now this game is going to render a judgment on this sort of conversation or environment and it's more like no there is no such thing as a correct answer in this moment so let's stick with that uh, which I thought was was really well handled and interesting and was not exactly the direction I was expecting it to go. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really lovely scene. Like I, uh, I, you know, they're certainly not the first uh, thing I've seen show like the talk essentially. Right. But uh-huh. like this was a version of the talk that I was pretty, uh, pretty happy with how things went down. You know, I cared about these characters by the time this conversation happened, both of them. And uh, I was invested in how this talk was going to go down. And I was, I still thought it was funny and, and sweet um, while also being like, not, not the worst example of how one of these things could go. So, you know, good. And it seemed, I really liked that it wasn't, she didn't go to Brad, who she's actually related to. Yeah. Because that would be weird. Like, she went to Brad's wife. And I think that's an interesting, like, the thing I admired about this game, um, and it, it the end when you're doing this, there's a part where there's a stick ceremony and you get to, like, pass the stick and say, you know, what you liked about the trip, basically, to each person. And I felt like the whole time this game was going on, like you're having very different conversations with very different people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes games like this are so much about the mood that the people don't sound different. Like the adults sound one way and the kids sound one way. This one, all four of them had their own thing going on. And I appreciated specifically that Mord talked to Chloanne about this. It seemed like the right choice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and, I mean, it's more realistic. Do you think a 13 year old girl would actually ask like a, 
a, a dude, dude about his, it? No. In his thirties? No. no. Absolutely not. That's gross. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it made sense. Uh, I, I didn't take a lot of screenshots during that uh, during that conversation, but I I did really feel for Chloe Ann when she did say to Mord, "Please, not on this trip, for Christ's sake, please." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like goddamn yes. Oh, the terror, the terror of dealing with young relatives um, or young people in general. Uh, and then the other conversation that I thought was really like kind of got at the themes. Okay, there's this, uh, maybe two other scenes because uh, the the scene where. Um, Mord and Ben go out to look at the beach, you know, when night has fallen and uh, the uncle and aunt have gone to bed and, you know, the, the titular big jacket comes out and they go and look at the wide ocean, right? And that scene was really sweet. Um, I don't know, like there wasn't a lot of dialogue in it, which I thought was good. It was mostly just about Mord and her boyfriend, Ben, sneaking off to go and look at stars and and uh you know looking forward at their lives a little bit i i um yeah i thought it was sweet i liked the the hole digging line from ben where he he says something to the effect of like my high school counselor says do small activities to make uncomfortable uh moments more comfortable or something like yeah. that so he, yeah use an activity as a bridge <laughs> and i was like that yeah, sounds like a very high so he, kind of thing yeah so he's digging a hole because he's obviously super uncomfortable with with what's happening uh which i thought was yeah great. very very sweet i thought that was great it's like would you like to sit by the hole with me now um and then the, the the sort of what I thought was the only really heavy conversation in the game uh, was after all of this has occurred, uh, I guess the next morning, Brad and Cloanne go for a walk uh, and they're talking about basically, uh, you know, revisiting a topic that clearly has come up for them many times before, which is uh, whether or not they're planning to have kids. And Cloanne is 100% against. And uh, Brad seems like he may have had that conversation in the past thought he didn't want to have kids and maybe something about hanging out with these kids makes him want to revisit that. Yeah. It really struck me as, uh, cause that's how he kind of enters into the conversation. He's like, these kids are cool and I wasn't expecting them to be this cool and I'm enjoying being around these kids. And so you can tell that he's sort of thinking about it more and decides to bring up the conversation, which he has met with direct rebuttal yeah. from Cloanne. Yeah, Cloanne shuts I thought was him also down, handled. which is like good and yeah. fair, but also like that's, you know, these are these are the these are the kind of dramatic conversations that people have in in long-term relationships. Yeah, and I thought she handled it or I thought her point was really really awesome too. Uh and just really Yeah, well like written. talked about how she, you know, it took her forever to figure out how she was how you know who she was and and how she wanted to be happy and like she wasn't gonna gonna throw that away because she you know she she knew what she wanted and you know like we talked yeah, about I've, this <laughs> we've talked about this and and I think as a uh, as the uh, childish representation or childless representation I mean uh, sure that was a weird Freudian slip um, <laughs> I I think that it's it's a conversation that you got to keep having, but like I have had uh, acquaintances, none of my close friends this is not a subtweet of anybody, but I've had acquaintances who uh, one side said, cool, no kids totally. And just kind of assumed the other person would like have a biological clock tick in and want a kid later. And so they just delayed the conversation. Um, so I was very happy. It didn't go that route. 
where Brad was like, I kind of always expected if we hung around kids. I was like, I didn't want to hate Brad. I was really worried I would have to end this hating Brad. Um, Because I think if you've had that conversation, it's good to check in again. um, Just to be like, we're both like... You know, everyone has what ifs, but it's it yeah, seems like know, it's good good for a check in every now and then to say like, oh, you know, did did these annoying teens uh, did they awaken anything in you? No, okay, we're good. Uh, like, but also, but you got to be okay with respecting the opinion. Right. You can't force it on. Yeah, if if you've made a hard decision one way and you want to change it, you have to be okay with the answer being no. And I, I think it was handled very well. It's a tough thing, and he needed a little space. And he, you know, basically she was like, "We'll take him camping again." Like. We can still be around, like, we can still do stuff with your relatives. <laughs> like, we can still be parents light. But mm-hmm. no, no, we talked about this. Yeah. Calm down, Brad. Yeah, I, I liked that scene a lot, though. Like, it was it was, it was the kind of conversation that, you know, I guess I, I don't see that conversation play out in media very often. So, um, it unlike a lot wistful, of It was wistful, but it wasn't mean. And nobody was right. And it was, you know, it was yeah. a negotiation, but it was a gentle one. Yeah. So I, I think the 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 thing you see represented media most is the couple who felt that way and now they don't. You know, they have both come to the decision to have kids mm-hmm. or one of them is still a little unsure, but they've decided to go along with it. You don't often see the like, no, I, I know I am very firm in my understanding that I don't want kids. And here here's why. And we talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you don't see that direct of a response. Uh, at least I can't think of of anything, let alone, especially not in games that uh, that you know confronts that directly. Mm-hmm. But also, this game does a good job of like everything is handled with a relatively light touch. This sounds pretty intense, but it's like four minutes of this game. They're also having that conversation while you know walking around, bird watching. There are still jokes in that yeah. scene. You know. It, yeah, it's all very light and it's and it's really only a few minutes, right? The the and that's all of these things we're talking about. The sex conversation, the beach, and this is like ten minutes of this hour long. It game. does sort of trip through it. And it ends with them holding hands and walking around afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't end with like a s with the dialogue. It ends with a gesture, which I I I really love. Yeah. Yeah, I love that actually, now that you mention it. The 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 sort of final moment of that scene where, you know, after they've had this talk, they they hold each other's hands and you're you know, you you do that there are various points in this game where you're sort of piloting the characters around and it does some pretty funny stuff with the way that, you know, you're, you're walking around as both Mord and Ben or as both Chloanne and Brad. Um, and one of them kind of follows the other in a very um, awkward video gamey kind of follow, but also kind of works in the scenes. And that was, I think the first time it had anybody sort of holding hands like that. I, I, I thought it was, it was a sweet moment. <laughs> uh there was a time, so yeah, you're talking about like there are times you can kind of control like the empty space in between Mord and Ben. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of you're guiding, and they're like tethered to it, and there you cross this bridge, and just the way I controlled it, like Mord got caught on the corner of the bridge, and I walked Ben entirely across it, and then Mord like, super, like <laughs> caught up, you know, it, it, it like in a glitchy video game way, it was very fun. Yeah, uh, I, the same thing happened for me at one point where we were walking around the campsite and Ben got caught behind the geometry of a tree and Mord just kept on walking <laughs> without him. And uh, it was, yeah. it felt very Ben in a way. I was like, <laughs> look yeah. at you dork yeah. walking into a tree. At some point, Ben also launched into the air. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Ben. Not entirely without bugs, but they were not, uh, not yeah. significant in any way. I thought they were cute, actually. 
Uh, so I, I don't know. Do we have anything else to say about this? I just, I, I think I had a very, I had a nice, lovely time with this. I, I, uh, I would definitely recommend it for people who want these sorts of narrative, uh, dialogue-driven, uh, you know, film-like experiences in games, yeah. and it worked for me. I know you had a little bit of a different relationship with it, Nate. Yeah, well, I kind of already said it, so I, I really don't want to detract from the game because I thought it was nice. I just didn't personally connect with much of the uh, the emotional side of it, but I thought it was handled really, really well. And I and I could imagine for some people, this game would be a, a very emotional experience. For yeah. me, it was more like, this was nice. You know, it took me an hour. Um, I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, just your individual emotional impact will vary i think based off of your life experiences like like most art right uh so just this one in particular wasn't as uh didn't connect to me as well yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. that's fair um and anything last to leave us with laura or no i think it's really gentle and it's funny it's a lot funnier than a lot of these games tend to be yeah (laughs) so uh, i really appreciate it uh i'm going to you know print out a picture of Mord and put it in my cubicle for inspiration. (laughs) All right. Nice. And um, so I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, Listeners, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game, and uh, we'll see you back here next week.